church. Uh, hang on a second. Give me a moment. Should I move this over here? Yeah, okay. I've never done this before. That good? This one. Good? Okay. Well, good morning, church. Um, you know, we are halfway through January, halfway through January, but I'm still going to say Happy New Year because of last week's cancellation. This is our first Sunday together. So Happy New Year, everyone. It's good to be together. And it, as Luke said, it was really good to be together last night for those of you who came to our, our night of prayer and worship. And if you missed it, I just have to tell you, you missed a great night. It was just so, so awesome to be together and worship Luke led, and we prayed together, and it was, it was really a great evening. And a great time of worship, as Luke also said, already this morning. So because I'm wishing you a happy new year, I thought I should probably check in. Uh, how many of you made New Year's resolutions? And how many of you are still keeping them? <laughs> I read a survey recently that said 80% of New Year's resolutions are gone and forgotten by mid-February. So if you have made a resolution and you're still keeping it, hang in there, you're halfway there. I don't really make New Year's resolutions, but I did have a thought. I, I had a thought about what my attitude and outlook should be going into the new year, and it came up in my uh, journal. I, um, in my morning time with the Lord, I, um, I, I write in my journal. This is just a book. It's a book of blank pages, um, and I don't do it every day. I do it most days, and you know, the evidence of that is I'm going to read to you my first entry of the year, and it wasn't on January 1st. It was on January 2nd. Um, at the bottom of each of these pages, there's, a, there's just a verse. And uh, when I journal, I don't worry too much about how much I write. I'll write a prayer if it's on my mind, or I'll write something I might be thinking. If I'm sitting quietly before the Lord and I think he's telling me something, I write it down. And it's really interesting to go back to those sometimes. And just read, oh, that was, that was, That's what I was thinking last year. Um, and sometimes it's the verse of the day at the bottom of it. I read that, and it really speaks to me. And this one did. January 2nd, the day I opened this and wrote, uh, I was going to write in it. The verse at the bottom of the day was Psalm 118.24. And this will be familiar to you. This is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. And that really spoke to me. I was thinking about, I was sitting before the Lord saying, wow, it's 2024, a new year. And I was thinking about going into the new year. and it, so I'm just going to read what I wrote after I thought that. Starting a new year, wow, 2024. I want to start this year with a, 
um, a modified version of Psalm 118.24, and I wrote it like this. This is the year the Lord has made. I will, be, I will rejoice and be glad in it. And then I wrote this. I want to mean that, but even as I write it, it seems too big, too long of a time frame for me to commit to sincerely. This is the year the Lord has made. I feel like I'm going to fail somewhere in there when I write that. Um, I So I see the wisdom in the way this verse is written. This is the day the Lord has made. I can better get my mind around one day at a time and sincerely commit to one day at a time. So I think maybe what I'll do is I'll make a commitment to repeat that verse every day. This is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it for the whole year. And I thought, that feels too big too. I'm probably going to miss a day or two and feel like I failed. So I'm just going to say this today. On January 2nd, 2024, this is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. And I'll try to remember to, sit, to start my day with that attitude, that this is the day, whatever it brings, God made this day, and I'll rejoice and be glad in it. So that was, it's not really a New Year's resolution, but it's kind of a desire of my heart to live with that mindset. But I want to point out one other thing because it pertains to where we're headed with this a new teaching series we're starting today called Church, Who Are We? What is church? We're going to try to address those questions. I want you to notice what I did to that verse. Here's how it reads. This is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. What did I write? This is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. I took what was meant to be a corporate experience and I turned it into an individual one. So just bookmark that thought, because it's going to come up today and, and throughout this series of church. Who, who, who are we? What is church? How do you define what church is? How do you identify? Is it just a place that you show up? Is it a building? Is church programs? Do we identify ourselves? Do we call our identity by our programs, by our missions, we're the church with the great kids program. We're the church with the awesome worship. We're the church that teaches the Bible. How do we identify ourselves? How do we define ourselves? How do we answer this question? By our doctrines? There are churches that define themselves by certain beliefs, by what they think about the Holy Spirit, or what's going to happen in the end times when Jesus is coming back, or about baptism, or about spiritual gifts. How do we define this thing we're calling church? And specifically for us, how do we answer the question, who is Calvary Church? Who are we? And who am I in this place? Some churches can tell you right from the top who they are by their name. I've got a list of a handful of church names I want to share with you. These are real. I promise you these are actual churches with these names. So uh, here's the first one. It's called the I have to actually read this name. The First Church of the Last Chance World on Fire Revival and Military Academy. That, I think that's their entire statement of faith right there. Here's the, the Greater Second Baptist Church. Greater than the First Baptist, I guess. How are the Halfway Baptist Church? We're not quite committed. We're kind of halfway Baptist. This one's terrible. The Hellhole Swamp Baptist Church. <laughs> Faith-free Lutheran Church. We can't make fun of that one too much. I want to say faith-free is like, if sugar-free has no sugar, faith-free is no faith, but we're Calvary-free, uh, evangelical-free, so 
I have to be careful about poking fun at that one. Little Hope Baptist. I just come to my church. We're the church of Little Hope. Um, I love this one. The original church of God, number two. <laughs> Would you go here? The boring Seventh-day Adventist church. And this is true. Their pastor's name is Elder Dull. <laughs> this one cracks me up. Harmony Baptist Church. A half mile away, there's Harmony Baptist Church number two. I guess they didn't get along. They just split up. We're harmony, you're harmony, but we're not doing it together. And this <laughs> waterproof Baptist. <laughs> What's a waterproof Baptist? <laughs> you can put the water on me, but it's running off. I'm a waterproof Baptist. <laughs> I'm sorry, that was just for fun, right? Um, there are a lot of different ways to describe and identify churches um, by the, the variety of expressions the church has, and the church has a variety of expressions. One of the things that was so eye-opening for Heidi and I that we kind of knew but we experienced was uh, a little over five years ago, we handed off our roles leading our, our church, Crossroads Church, and we moved on to start a new ministry where we were going to, where we support and coach and encourage other people in ministry. What we found out immediately after we handed our church over was we were free on Sunday mornings. And we decided it would be a good idea to go visit churches. So we visited churches one after the other, all in the area. It was an amazing experience to be sitting in church after church and just see the variety of expressions, some very structured, from liturgical to free form, from hymns to choruses, and uh, formal to informal, and realizing from church to church, even though the expressions were different, God was in that place. And the people there were sincerely worshiping Jesus and trying to connect with him. I'll be honest, I sat in churches where I thought, if I was shopping or looking for a church or trying to find a church home, this one probably wouldn't do it for me. I'm not connecting with the way this church um, approaches their, their Sunday morning. And others like, I love the way this goes here on Sunday morning. But here's the, was the bottom line was, it did, doesn't make any difference. That's just style. That's just style. And the people in those churches were connecting with each other and connecting with Jesus, and that's, what's, that's what matters. And I knew that. I'm a pastor. I was a pastor for 25 years. But to have that experience of sitting in various different churches, just reminded me how big and broad the church of Jesus is across this world and how different it is from place to place. And that's wonderful. I think that makes Jesus smile when we're different and we approach things differently, but we're centered on one thing, him. That he's the one we come together and worship. And while there could be a variety of ways to express church, and every church has its own personality. I still think there should be like a common core of elements that define us as a church. Some non-negotiables. Like I have non-negotiables in my, my faith. My, I have a very short list of non-negotiables. Do you have a, a list of non-negotiables? These things are the things I believe that I will go to my grave over. I'll go to the wall over. I'll defend. I'll, I'll argue these things because they matter to me. And then there are other things I believe I'm not going to fight with you about them. 
Here are my non-negotiables. I can give them to you pretty, pretty quickly. I believe that God exists in three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. I believe that Jesus, the Son of God, came to this earth from a virgin birth and was the miraculous combination of being fully God and fully man. He lived a perfect life, never sinned. He went to the cross and took a punishment he didn't deserve so that I could be forgiven. By his blood, I am forgiven and saved and redeemed by his sacrificial death on the cross. These are non-negotiable to me. I'll go to my grave over that. I believe that what the Bible says is that all people have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every one of us have sinned and needs what Jesus did on the cross. There's not a one of us who doesn't need that. I believe that. I believe that when I give myself to the, to the Lord and I ask him to forgive me and come into my life, I am sealed and adopted and empowered and filled with the Holy Spirit. I believe, I was going to hold this up. <laughs> this is not the Bible, this is my journal. <laughs> I believe the Bible is the word of God. I believe it's divinely inspired and God uses it to speak to me. It's his letter to me, it's his word. There is no other book on this planet like that Bible. For me, it's the final authority in all matters of faith and spiritual practice. Those are my non-negotiables. That's it. There are other things I believe that I'll discuss with you that we might disagree on as Christians, and I'm okay with that. So I think a church, if we're going to define church and say, who, is, who are we and what is church? There should be a list of non-negotiables. Things that say, these are the things that really make up a church. Everything else is style. Everything else is preference. Everything else is personality and temperament and structure. But there have to be some core elements that we say, this is what church is. Where do we get those? Where do we find those? I'm going to bring us straight to where I find them first. It's in the book of Acts chapter 2. Verses 42 through 47. It's the description of the first group of people that came together after Jesus died, rose from the dead, and went back to be seated at the right hand of the Father. Because I find in this passage those core elements, those non negotiables that I think make church church. So we're going to read through this, and then I'll tell you why I think that. Acts 2, 42 through 47. They. The, the they in this passage are all the people who came to believe that Jesus really did die for them and rise from the dead. They came together underneath the authority of the apostles. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes, and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. I find that passage so compelling. To me, that describes what church should be, what church should look like how we ought to operate, and what should happen. It says here that the people, the congregation, the group was devoted to the apostles' teaching. They were devoted to fellowship, to being together, to being involved in each other's lives. They were devoted to the breaking of bread. 
which means communion, and it also means eating meals together. And they were devoted to prayer. It said they met together daily in the temple courts. They were involved in each other's lives. They were in each other's homes. They were devoted to these things, and people were added to their number. Imagine the the sense of excitement and awe that was in this group because people were coming to Jesus and being saved and having their lives transformed. And they were adding to their numbers, not just numbers, because sometimes in church we get too much about numbers. These numbers represented changed lives. These numbers represented people who were coming to Jesus. That's what's exciting about numbers. So what we're going to do starting today and over these next six weeks is we're going to unpack this together to try to answer that question, what is church and who are we? I'm going to take a week on each one of these, a week on what it meant that they were devoted to teaching, to fellowship, to breaking the bread, to prayer, that the miraculous was happening among them, that people were added to their number. And what does this mean? And what does this mean for us at Calvary? Can we take this passage and translate it to us today? To pull anything out of it to say, how do we answer this question today? Who are we here at Calvary? Anytime I talk about this passage with people, recently and years ago, it seems like one thing always comes out of the conversation we're having is what happened to that sense of awe and wonder? This says in here that there was this sense of awe. There was a sense of wonder. There was this anticipation of the miraculous and God's hand moving. And often I have conversations with Christian friends or Christian church leaders or people in congregation about this passage, and this question always comes up. What happened to that sense of awe? It kind of feels like we're just doing church. Do you ever feel that way? Like, it just feels like, oh, we're showing up, and we're doing church, and then we're going home, and we're doing life, and then we're coming back, and we're doing church. I want to see that description of awe and the, and the miraculous movement of the hand of God. I want to feel that anticipation that God is going to do something great and see it happen. I have uh, some ideas from this passage about where that comes from. Where does that sense of awe come from? How does it originate? We might easily conclude, well, it's because God was doing miraculous things. And if God would do miracles, we would have a sense of awe. Like, we're going to put the whole thing on him. Well, I think as we go through each of these weeks, there's a place where we can say, oh, that produces awe and wonder. If I could engage myself that way, it would produce in me a sense of awe. So I'm going to try to make a point Every week we're going through this series to say, that will produce awe and wonder. So pay attention to that as we go through. So over these next few weeks, we're going to focus down on the components that are listed in here. But today, I want to take a step back and just take a broader look at that whole passage. If we take a broader look at that whole passage, those whole five verses, I get a big picture answer to what is church. My big picture answer is, it's community. It says these these people came together. They were involved in each other's lives. If someone had a need, someone met it with finances. If it meant I have to sell my third car because I only need two, and I'm going to give the money to someone who needs it, I'll do it because I love that person. And I'm going to make that happen. By the way, that would produce a sense of awe. 
It meant they sat around a dining room table and shared in each other's lives. That they weren't just showing up for church and checking the box, I sat in the seat for an hour today. And it wasn't show up for church on Sunday and go home and do life during the week. They were committed to each other. It says they were devoted to the teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer. But the underlying message here is they were devoted to each other. They were committed to being together. I believe that the power of church comes from Jesus and the blood of Jesus. But the energy that makes us run together as a group is relationship. We need each other. We were meant to be in community. You can meet with God anywhere. I love walking in the woods. I love sitting by any form of water, lake, ocean, stream, pond, waterfall. It does something to my spirit, and it it helps me connect with God. But if that was the sum total of my spiritual life, it would not be enough. I need you, and you need me, and we need to be together. We were created to be in community, and it happens here in these seats. It happens throughout the week as we do things together and we're involved in each other's lives. It's all about community and being together. Calvary Church, if I could answer this question with one word, who are we? Today I would say community. The power of being together. So I'll make an appeal again. To those of you who have been watching from home, I know many of you have to do that, and I'm so thankful we have this technology so that you can connect from home, but you need to be here. If you can get in this room, get in this room. Because what you're missing, if you're only doing your spiritual life in the woods or um, at home by yourself, you're missing relationship. You're missing being together, and we were meant to be in relationship. Here's an example of it. Last night, We had a group of people who came out to be part of prayer and worship. We sat in the chapel. Where is that chapel? Thank you. Chapel. Um, And we sang worship songs together. We read scriptures together. But here's what was just really great. And Heidi and I went home talking about this when we got home. People prayed and prayed together. We were both so impressed. I'm going to be honest with you. We got home. We sat on our living room couch, and we kind of just talked through the hour we were together for a prayer and worship, and we both said the same thing. We were so amazed at how people prayed. People just prayed for each other, and someone would pray, and, and we would agree with it, and we'd pray together. And we had a little sharing, some testimony, some people who said, I'm thankful for this. God is doing that. God answered this prayer. That's what you get when you're together, that you don't get when you're alone. If I'm alone... The only thing I have is my own thoughts and my own testimony and my own hopes and my own dreams and my own connection with God. But if I sit with you and I hear how God is at work in your life, it touches my heart, it encourages my spirit, it expands my mind, it grows my faith, it produces in me a sense of awe because the same God I know and love is at work in you. And I can hear what he's done in your life. And I can hear you pray to him and pray along with you. That's what community is. That's what community does. So Calvary Church, answer number one today is 
Who are we? We're community, and we matter to each other, and you're valuable, and I'm valuable, and you're valuable, and you're valuable, and you're valuable, and you're valuable, and we're all a part of what Jesus is doing here. That's who we are. I want to remind you, I mentioned this once before. The New Testament letters that we read, that we internalize, when you open your Bible at home and you read the letter to the Philippians or the letter to the Ephesians or the letter to the Colossians, you read that and you say, what is God saying to me? I do it all the time. But originally, these letters were written to groups. They were written to churches. They were read in churches so that people received them together in community. Give you a couple of examples. Philippians uh, chapter 1, verses 3 through 6, says this I thank my God, Paul's writing, every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. I have quoted that so many times. I have hung on to that one so many times. That God will complete the work he began in you. I've individualized it. I've personalized it. I've told people, God will finish the work. He started in you. Hold on to that. But the the reality of this passage is, it was first written to a church, to a group. God's first promise on this score was the work I began in you, Calvary Church. The work I began in you, Calvary people. The work I started in you, Calvary community. I will carry on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It's a community verse. Here's another one. 2 Corinthians 3.18. It says this, And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. I actually quoted this one a few weeks back. I don't remember which Sunday. But I was talking about how God changes us, how he transforms us how he changes me from glory to glory, how he's producing in me the likeness of his son, Jesus Christ. That's his goal for my life. I took this verse and I applied it directly to me individually and you individually. But the reality of this passage is this letter was first written to a church. It was written to a community. So let's hear it in that context now. This is what the Bible is saying about you, Calvary Church, about us, Calvary Church, is that we all, did you catch that? It said, we all. Last time I read it, I skipped that part. And we all, with unveiled faces, contemplate the Lord's glory. Isn't that what we did this morning while Luke led us? We sat in the presence of God with unveiled faces. We were uncovered. And we contemplated the Lord's glory together. And we sensed his presence in this room. Together, might I suggest that there were a couple moments this morning of quiet awe. Did you sense that? I did. I had a couple moments right there in that chair. Quiet awe, where I just felt like, God, you are in this place, and we are worshiping you. That we all, with unveiled faces, contemplate the Lord's glory, and we all together are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory. One more, one more example on this. This past fall, from September to Thanksgiving, we studied the book of Colossians together. There's a letter to the Colossian church. It says this, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to God's holy people at Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you. 
from God our Father. That letter was written to whom? To God's holy people. To the whole group. Heidi and I were talking about this um, just a week or so ago, and she said something brilliant. I want to share it with you. It made so much sense to me. She said, we tend to individualize our faith and make it about me. But our faith, this is what she said, our faith is personal, but it's not individual. Think about that for a moment. Do you know why I say such smart things from up here? I am married to a brilliant woman. (laughs) Your faith is personal. You have a personal relationship with Jesus. He knows you. You know him. You talk to him. He talks to you. You walk with him. He walks with you. Your faith is personal. He knows your name. He knows every hair on your head. He knows every word you'll speak before you speak it. But your faith is not individual. Your faith is part of a community. Personal, but not individual. And then Heidi went on to, she said, I'm trying to think of an example of how this works. How does this work in life? And she said this, ah, it's like our children and our grandchildren. We have personal relationships with every one of them. We know our children personally. We know our grandchildren personally. We know so much about each one of them, but our relationship with them is not individual. It's in the context of our family. Same thing here at Calvary. Your relationship with the Father is personal, but it's in the context of his family. It's not individual. So who are we? I want you to notice the group connotation in each of these biblical descriptions of who we are. The Bible calls us a royal priesthood. Not specifically, you are a priest. We are a royal priesthood. We are a holy nation. We are a people belonging to God. We are dearly loved children of God. We're a gathering of redeemed people worshiping and following Jesus together. I want to put a passage up here from Hebrews, and it repeats these two words, let us, let us, let us. And I want you to remember those as I, I want you to notice those as I read this passage through. Hebrews 10, 22 to 25 says this, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. And let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Let us, every one of us, is a part of what God is doing here at Calvary Church. Every one of us has a part. Every one of us belongs. Every one of us has something to contribute. That's what 1 Corinthians 12 says. Verse 7 and 12 says, Now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. The generic way to say that is everyone has a spiritual gift. Everyone who becomes a follower of Christ is given something that they can use to contribute to the good of the church. To each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Just as the body, the one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. One of these next six weeks, we're going to focus just on that that you are a part, God has called you to a part, God has called you to love and serve one another, and he's given you something that you can do and be and contribute in this community. But that'll be in a few more weeks. 
Church is a place to know and be known. Right before the passage I read in the book of Acts, Peter gave this monster sermon. And it said 3,000 people were added to their number that day. First megachurch. 3,000 people. And then it gives this description that I read and said that God added to their number daily those who were being saved. That first group was huge. It was huge. And I think you know, I don't think I have to really try to explain this, it's difficult to know and be known in a group of three or 4,000 people. It's such a big group. For me, to know and be known, I need to be in a smaller group. What the, the church did, it, it morphed into something that worked so well. It started with this group of thousands and thousands of people. Persecution came on the church, which everyone thought would be such a bad thing, and it scattered everybody. They scattered. They ran from the persecution. And what happened in that scattering? Home churches popped up all over the place. Home churches. The gospel spread because persecution made them run. And they started meeting in smaller groups, in home churches, where you could know and be known. So in this church, if we are 300 plus people in this room and add in more people from home, for me, that's too big of a group to know and be known. I mean, I'm still working on a lot of your names. I need a smaller group. So somewhere within this big group where we get together and we worship and we celebrate, and we belong together in a big group, somewhere in that, I need a smaller group of people that can know me and that I could know. I need to belong to a small group, a community group, an adult Bible study class. I need to know a few people a little bit more intimately in the group. Like that model that got blasted by persecution, they ended up in home churches where they actually couldn't. Why is that so important? Is if I have people who know me, who really know me, they can help me walk my life. They can help me live out my faith. If I show up to a room of three or 400 people once a week, nobody knows me. Nobody knows what my challenges are and what my triumphs are. I come in, I sit in the seat, I go home. That's not what church was meant to be. Church was meant to be we know, we're known, and we help each other walk this life. We sharpen each other, we walk together, we help, we encourage. I'm going to read a passage to you from Ecclesiastes that I've used in almost every wedding ceremony I've done. Not all of them, but many of them. I, I always call this passage my marriage passage, but it isn't really. It's about us. It's about us. So let's read this. It's Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 12. It says this, two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up, but pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves, and a cord of three strands is not quickly broken. This is why we need each other. This is why we come together. So our lives can wrap up like, like cords, like a rope. And, and I'm stronger if I'm connected like that than if I'm a single strand. A single strand alone can be snapped. Wrap a couple together, much stronger. Three, four, five, three hundred, wrap those together much harder to break. It becomes like steel cable. That's why we need to come together. I'm in a small group that meets on Saturday mornings. It meets by Zoom now because the men in it are all over the place. We've been together, I don't know, it's before COVID. It's got to be five years. Um, and um, 
pretty much the same group of guys. Two weeks ago, on our, on our Saturday I don't lead the group. My best friend does. I'm a, I'm a member of it. I'm a participant. Uh, we were discussing something, and Scott, our group leader, said, go to this particular passage in Matthew. We all opened our Bibles, and he said to one of the guys, Rudy, would you read that passage? And Rudy opened it up, and he, he just stopped for a second, and he said, you know, I have to tell you guys something. Um, I've been noticing this yesterday. Uh, I've been noticing this lately. He said, every, this is the Bible I use for a group. And every time we go to a passage, I mark it. So I've been marking my Bible for years of all the passages we've discussed. He said, you wouldn't believe my Bible. Is there so many underlines. There's so many. He said, I'm amazed at how many scriptures we have talked about in the last few years as a group. And it really struck me. That's, that's about the only thing I remember from group that morning. I left that group thinking, this is amazing. There's a group of eight guys who, over the course of several years, have, by, just by committing an hour together, have discussed masses of Scripture. But what if we hadn't chosen that? What if we weren't part of that group? I would never have had any of those discussions. I would have never have spent an hour with good friends of mine talking about a Scripture passage over and over. We covered so much Bible over the course of, the, of those years. And discussing, like, what does this mean to you as a father, as a husband, as a man? How do you apply this to your life? This is what we do in that group. This is why we need each other. Someone sent me this picture. Um, if, is, do we have that? Can we put that prayer picture up? I think I, I hope I gave it to you. You don't have it? Oh. <laughs> I'm bringing it next week. It's this great picture of why we should pray together. I won't say anymore. Um, but on the subject of prayer, I mentioned um, that we prayed together last night, and it was just so wonderful to hear people praying, and praying out loud, and praying with faith, and praying for conviction, with conviction. This group that we're reading about in the book of Acts that formed together, they had leaders. They were a massive group of people, but they had apostles, they had leaders. They had to figure out how to distribute leadership to, to help this whole group. We have leaders here who volunteer their time, who step in to say, I'll take that job, I'll do that responsibility, I'll, I'll manage that role because I love Jesus and I love the church. And we're called to pray for them. So I want us to pray for our leaders this morning. We're actually going to stop right here uh, in the midst of our, our time, and we're going to say a prayer for our leaders. You might have noticed in your bulletin insert, there are a list of people who lead. Just, these are all volunteers. I'm not going to read this list. You have it there. What I'm going to ask is, if you're in the room today and you're one of these leaders, or if you lead in some capacity here at Calvary Church, and for some reason your name isn't, isn't on one of these, I want you to stand up. Please, just stand up. If, you, if you're on this list, you know who you are. I'm not going to read the list. Just stand up. Stand up. These are people who volunteer their time, their hours, their prayers, their thoughts, their, their energies to serve us to help Calvary Church keep moving forward, to pray for us, to make decisions, to come together, to make plans. And so first I want to just say to those of you who are serving us, thank you. Thank you, yes, please thank them. One thing I've learned, having been in church leadership for many, many years, is that uh, the effectiveness of church leadership depends very much on the rest of us. That if we grumble and complain and drag our feet, leadership becomes an awful burden 
But if we come together and we work together and we encourage each other and we pray for each other, leadership becomes a joy. And the Bible says that's how it should be. So I want to pray, say a prayer over you. If you're nearby, one of these people standing up and you want to reach your hand out or put a hand on a shoulder and join me in this prayer, I'm just going to say a prayer blessing over the people who are serving us in leadership. I thank you, Lord, for the people standing or at home or who aren't in the room but are in leadership who have volunteered to lead us, to put in hours of volunteer time and prayer and effort and, and angst and, 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 and energy. And I just pray, God, that you would bless them, that you would expand their minds and thoughts, that you would fill their hearts with your grace and love and kindness, that you'd give them wisdom, that you'd give them discernment, that you'd bless them that you would help us to find the pathways that you've laid out before us and uh, that your hand of blessing would be on every person standing or not in this room who serves in a leadership position at Calvary Church. We're thankful, Lord, and we thank you for them. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, folks. Have a seat. All right, let me see if I can bring this home. So we're a community. People are created for community. People try to find community in life. Usually community is formed around a common interest, like a book club or a sewing club or a gym. I go to the gym to work out, but I'm, I become a part of a community there or rotary or a sports team or band. I know people who found community by being band parents while their kids were in band because we have this need in us, this desire in us to be connected in community. We were created for it. We can't help it. When we get around an activity, we connect with the other people who are around that same activity. So what makes Calvary community different from other communities? What makes us different from a book club, from a sewing club, from a band club, from a, uh, a sports team? What makes us different is Jesus. It's Jesus. It's Jesus is that we are committed around him. We fall under his banner. We're under his name. We're under his blood. We're under his authority. What brings people together for church who come from different walks of life who might otherwise have nothing in common? It's Jesus. He's made us his family. He's made us brothers and sisters. You're my sisters. You're my brothers. In Christ. In Christ. Jesus. He makes us community. I'm going to have the worship team come back up here because uh, Luke has planned to end us with a great song. It's a great song to have as an anthem going into 2024. It's a great song to end a year with, to begin a year with, to be in the middle of the year with because it just says, all glory be to Jesus Christ. All glory be to him. He's the one who makes us a church. Now, as they get in position, I just want to remind you of, of two things. One is our adult Bible study starts today. So at 10.30, please find a class. Even if you uh, hadn't already decided you were going to do it, decide now to be a part of that community and to join a class. Go sit in on that. And uh, also, if you came here wanting or needing prayer, when service is dismissed, right over there, we'll have people in our prayer corner who would love to pray with you today. Uh, so Luke and team, end us with a focus on Jesus. Mm -hmm.